Matthew 6:19 starts with, "Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more, and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Have you ever noticed that when you experience something new that's like a little bit better than what you're used to, your tastes change? So like you have really good coffee and then suddenly the cheap gas station coffee just doesn't cut it anymore. Or like you have like these really high thread count sheets and then the cheap ones, they don't feel comfortable anymore. I notice this in myself with hotels. Okay, so when I was a kid, we stayed at the cheapest hotel we could possibly find. And then my first job uh, in college, my first real job after college, was with a lot of colleagues who were older than me. And when we would go to conferences, they would all stay, like, we'd stay at, like, the Hyatt place, which was, like, so fancy. And so now I've kind of gotten used to the comfort of, like, that level of hotel. And it feels like deprivation if I have to stay at a hotel with a number in its name. I'm like, oh, it's so hard. I'm so deprived now. So do you notice things like this in your life? You get used to something nice, and then that becomes the new standard that you have to have. So this is like one small picture, right, of how material things, stuff, materialism works in our lives, right? When we get something nice, it starts to feel like a need instead of a want, and then we want more and more and more. Materialism is insatiable. So I'm guessing every single one of us could share some way that we struggle with stuff, material belongings. It doesn't matter whether we have a lot or a little, we all struggle to have a healthy relationship with our material possessions. If we don't have enough, it's hard not to think about it all the time. How am I going to make ends meet? How am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to feed my family? If we have a lot, we start to feel like we need more and more and more to be happy. In the Gospels, Jesus talks a lot about our relationship with our stuff. And there's a really good reason for that. 
Jesus knows, right, that in our hearts there is a desire for something, a hole that needs to be filled. And Jesus knows that money and possessions and stuff are one of the number one ways we try to fill the desire of our hearts that really only he can fill. That was true in Jesus' day, and it's even more true in our day, in America, where the very thing we call the American dream has to do with stuff, having a house, having money, having material success. Right? We idolize people who seem to come from nothing and then build a business empire and become a billionaire. In the United States, we care a lot about money. And compared to the rest of the world, we have a lot. Did you know there's a place you can go online and find out how much you make and where you lie in the material wealth of the world? A person making $40,000 a year, $40,000 a year is wealthier than 92% of people living on planet Earth. $40,000 a year puts you in the wealthiest 8% in the world. Now, obviously, $40,000 a year in Massachusetts might still not be enough. You still might struggle to feed your family. That's not my point. My point is just that our view on wealth and money in the U.S. is really skewed, like a lot. Compared to the rest of the world, even the poorest people in our country have a lot of money. And so I have friends in other countries that tell me that they regularly pray for the church in the U.S. They talk about how hard it must be to really live fully for God when we have so much material wealth. That's why I think this passage today is so, so important for us. Because the American dream preaches a false gospel. It preaches that a successful life is measured in wealth, in dollars and cents and lines that go up and to the right. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says that having more than we need is actually bad for us. (laughs) That's why he tells the rich young ruler that he needs to go and sell all his things and give them to the poor. Because he knows that for the rich young ruler, his wealth has become an idol. His wealth is bad for him. So in the first part of these verses today, Jesus unpacks the problem of putting our trust in stuff and wealth. He says in verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus says, don't make your life about stuff. Don't become addicted to stuff. It's bad for you. Jesus says there's two big problems with wealth. First, Jesus says, earthly wealth isn't secure. It will let you down. Earthly stuff does not last. The biggest home you can buy will one day be rubble. The most expensive car will one day be rusted out in a junkyard. Stuff doesn't last. And Stuff could be stolen, right? When you have expensive things, you have to worry about protecting your expensive things. And jobs aren't secure. Some of you know that. Layoffs happen in every sector. Businesses fold. Companies consolidate. Industries change. If you're not performing well enough, you might be let go so they can hire someone else. The stock market crashes. Retirement accounts shrink. Inflation changes the value of your money. And Jesus wants you to be aware that if you choose wealth to fill the hole in your heart, you will never be secure. Because money is a lousy source of security. The second problem with wealth, Jesus says, is that wealth can really easily become an idol. That's what verses 21 through 24 are about. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This whole section here is talking about what happens when we chase after money. When Jesus starts talking about eyes and lamps and healthy bodies, for many of us, that doesn't make any sense, right? Why did, like, he's talking about money, and then all of a sudden we're talking about eyes and bodies. What's that about? Well, in the ancient world, the eyes were said to display what was within a person, the eyes shined out the light within a person. Sort of like our phrase that we have today, the eyes are the windows to the soul, right? What we see in a person's eyes tells us something about their soul. And the phrases healthy eyes and unhealthy eyes, there's actually a few different ways you can translate that. Sometimes the word healthy was translated to mean single, simple. So it's like single-minded. Jesus is saying that a person who is single-minded in pursuit of God and his kingdom will have a lightness about them that shines out to everyone they meet. On the other hand, he says, pursuing wealth fills a person with darkness. Or put another way, wealth causes spiritual blindness. So Jesus says, someone who's running after God's kingdom and God's kingdom only sees clearly. They see what God is up to in the world. They see that they have a role to play. They see how their stuff doesn't really belong to them, how it's to be used in the service of God. Their light shines bright for all to see. But someone who's chasing wealth is confused. They're blinded at God's truth. They've gotten disconnected from God's purpose for them and for the stuff he's entrusted to them. They've started to chase wealth for their own enjoyment, for their own security, and they've forgotten that what they have doesn't actually belong to them anyway. It's a gift of God to be used in service of his kingdom and other people. Jesus is saying just wealth is dangerous. You absolutely cannot serve God in money. God will not share his throne. But wealth wants to be king of your life. That's just how things are this side of heaven. So Jesus wants us to have our eyes wide open to the danger of allowing our stuff to become an idol. He wants us to be clear that we have to choose intentionally who or what we'll worship. Will we worship God? Will we put his kingdom first? Do we see clearly that all we have belongs to him? Do we hold our job, our home, our stuff loosely, knowing that as long as we have Jesus, we have everything Or are we trying to have both? Are we trying to chase God's kingdom and a comfortable life? Have we been clouded to the needs of others and our place of security? Does our desire to have the things we want make it hard for us to prioritize God and his work in the world? Who will we worship? Is it God or is it stuff? Jesus says it cannot be both. Whew! Anybody else feeling a little convicted about this? (laughs) Me, I am. (laughs) I struggle with stuff. I struggle with my relationship with stuff. So what's next? Where do we go from here? Is the application just feel bad about everything you have or feel bad about feeling bad about what you don't have or just shame on you if you have a good job and a nice home? Is that the takeaway? I don't think so. 
Jesus comes, right? Not to let our sin and struggle leave us feeling overwhelmed and stuck there. Jesus comes to free us from our struggles. Jesus wants us to be free of whatever hold money has on us. Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full. So let's keep reading. Starting in verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. I love this. After this incredibly convicting word about serving God and money, the next words out of Jesus' mouth are, so don't worry. Just don't worry about it. Don't worry. What is that about? Is Jesus just naive? Does he not realize that some people don't have what they need? Does he just not care that some people are starving? Is he saying just don't think about it and pretend like everything's fine? I'm fine. You're fine. Everything is fine. No. That's not what Jesus is doing. (laughs) Jesus is showing us a drastically different way of living than the exhausting pursuit of stuff. Jesus is telling us what life in God's kingdom is supposed to be like, what it's intended to be like. Jesus is giving us his big idea. Jesus' big idea. He's saying security is found not in material things, but in the love of the Father. Security is found not in material things, but in the love of the Father. Jesus says you don't need to chase after stuff because you are loved by the God of the universe. You don't need to chase after money for security. Your Father in heaven is holding you tight and he knows exactly what you need. Listen, I wanna be really clear about what this passage is and is not saying. If you read these verses of Jesus saying not to worry and your takeaway from these verses is that worry is a sin, you're missing the point. This is not Jesus saying, oh, worry's another thing, now you need to add to your list of things to feel bad about doing. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is extending an invitation to a better way of life. He's saying, listen, I love you. Worry is not gonna help you. Of course you feel overwhelmed sometimes. Of course you have anxiety, especially when you're faced with these difficult circumstances. Of course. But when you do that, when you enter a time that's hard, when, you're, when you find yourself looking for stuff, for security, don't just spin it over and over in your head and try and figure it out on your own. You don't need to do that. It will suck the life out of you. Instead, bring it to God. Take the heavy burden of your worry and hand it over to him. Jesus says you don't need to worry. You don't need to hoard your wealth. You don't need to run after status or stuff because you are loved by God. 
He says, look at the birds. They don't store up food. They don't do anything. They just have what they need because God causes plants to grow that produce food for them. And look at the flowers. They don't work hard to look that good. They just do because God dresses them. And if God has made provision for birds and flowers, he will certainly take care of you. You matter to God way more than birds or flowers. You are made in his image. Do you know how loved you are? Verse 32 says that God knows what you need. God is aware of every aspect of your life. He knows exactly how much your rent is this month. He knows where the cancer is hiding. He knows all about that boss that makes your life miserable. He knows all about the fear you have about being able to provide for your kids. He knows all about how you were made fun of as a child, and that's why you feel this need to prove yourself now as an adult. He knows all of it. And he knows better than you what you need in this moment. And this, Jesus says, is what frees us from wrapping our lives around stuff. When the God of the universe is your father, you don't need to pinch pennies because you are a beloved child of the one who owns everything. When you believe that God is a good father who delights in providing his children what they need, you don't need to toil and labor and relentlessly, anxiously run after more because you know that God has seen your needs and he's already figured out a way to meet them. Jesus is not, in this passage, laying a heavy burden of guilt and shame on the wealthy for having a lot or on the poor for needing a lot. Jesus is saying that rich and poor can both find their rest and security not in material things, but in the God who made everything they need. Jesus is freeing us from the hustle and the grind that are so embedded into the rhythm of life in this world. He is saying, rest. Rest in how loved you are. And Jesus is saying that people who get how loved they are by God, people who are running after God's kingdom, they don't need to hoard wealth. They don't need to keep on holding tight to their material things because people who are seeking God's kingdom, people who know the God who takes care of the birds and the flowers and humans, these people can run with their whole hearts after God's agenda. That's what Jesus was saying back in verses 22 and 23. Remember I said there's a couple different ways you could translate those phrases about healthy eyes and unhealthy eyes? Well, another way those phrases were used was to juxtapose generosity and stinginess. So you could read verses 22 to 23 like this. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are generous, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are stingy, your whole body will be full of darkness. See, in verses 25 to 34, as Jesus is saying not to worry, he's he's telling us why we don't need to hoard wealth, right? We don't need to hoard wealth or worry about material things because we're loved by God. But a couple verses back, in verses 22 and 23 that we just reread, he's giving us a strategy of how to avoid hoarding wealth. He's given us a strategy of how to destroy the idol of wealth in our lives. Generosity. 
Generosity. Generosity is how we destroy the idol of wealth. We give our things away. This is how we reject wealth so that we can fully devote ourselves to the only true king. We give. That is why, family, Jeremy and I give the first portion of our income away. When we make a budget, the first 10% goes to the church. Another percentage goes to our friends and ministry and organizations we support. Jeremy and I need to give our money away because we so easily become attached to it. My heart needs to remember that what I have is not mine. So I need to practice the spiritual discipline of generosity. That's also why Harbor gives away 10% of all the money that comes in in our offerings. We're a small church. That 10% of that what we give away could do some cool things at Harbor. Maybe we could get that jet Paul was talking about earlier. Um, <laughs> we could maybe hire some more staff. We could get better equipment. Maybe HSM could have pizza every Sunday. It would be very easy for us here at Harbor to spend all of the money entrusted to us on ourselves. But we want to be a church that gives. We don't want to be a church that makes an idol of money. So we give away 10% of what comes in to our local and global partners like Place of Promise and IINE and the Wish Project and our sister community in El Mirador. We need to give because it would be very easy for us here at Harbor to become attached to our money and get selfish with it. The antidote to wealth worship is generosity. And when we're generous, not only are we destroying the idol of wealth, not only is it good for our hearts, but when we are generous, we get to participate in the work of God. When we want God's kingdom most, we value what God values. And in God's kingdom, no one is supposed to go without their basic needs being met. And so when we're generous, we participate in making the earth look more like God's kingdom. When all of us are doing God's will, when all of us seek his kingdom first, that is how God supplies the needs of all people. We are God's plan to care for those in need. And the beautiful thing about this is that every single one of us has been gifted with more of something than we need. Every single one of us. All of us can contribute something. I will never forget this anonymous letter I got in the mail at the church I worked at in Illinois. Uh, For a little while, we were giving out $5 Starbucks gift cards to our first-time visitors. So we'd get their address and all their information, and we'd send them a little card in the mail, like, thanks for visiting, here's some Starbucks money. Um, But somebody anonymously sent us a letter that said, I really want to give. I want to contribute, but I don't have money. So I'm sending back the $5 gift card that you gave me so that you can give it to someone else. That made me cry (laughs) when I opened that mail. That person gave the only thing they had to give. What a beautiful act of worship. What a courageous demonstration of their trust in God to provide for them. So Harbor, where do you see yourself? What's God saying to you today? What is he saying to you about your relationship with material things? Are you recognizing that maybe your stuff has a hold on your heart in some way? Are you recognizing that either in your wealth or in your need, you've been worshiping this idol of stuff? And what's God saying today about his desire for you? Are you sensing his loving invitation to break the hold your stuff has on you? Are you sensing his invitation to look long and hard at the God of the universe who owns everything and knows you by name? Maybe he's challenging you today about what generosity might look like for you in your life. Maybe financially or with your abilities or your time, right? Money's not the only resource we are tempted to hoard. 
So whatever it is you might be tempted to hoard, how might God be inviting you to experience the freedom that comes with generosity? By the way, for those of you who haven't been at Harbor very long, as we talk about this idea of giving here at Harbor, there's some important things you should know. First of all, we don't ask people to give here financially at Harbor just so that we can keep the lights on and the staff paid, as Paul was saying earlier. We don't even ask you to give of your time or money or talent as volunteers only because of the amazing ways that God works through this community's generosity, although it is beautiful to watch. Those aren't the only reasons we ask you to give. Another reason we believe in giving here at Harbor is because we recognize how good it is for us when we give. When we trust God enough to say, I'm going to give this portion of my income away, and I believe that you can take care of me still. When we feel strapped for time, but we carve out 30 minutes to call someone who's struggling, or we carve out an hour to serve with the kids in HSM or in Kids Harbor. We believe that all of us need to practice generosity in order to destroy the idol of wealth that is constantly striving to establish itself on the throne of our hearts. Family security is not found in material things, but in the love of our Heavenly Father. So today, let's spend a few moments listening to our Heavenly Father about his great love for us, his ability to take care of us, and his invitation to each of us to seek first his kingdom. So I'm going to pray, and then you'll have a moment to just listen, to say what God is saying to you this morning. And when you're ready, you can come forward and take communion. Communion is our reminder that Jesus has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves, our confession that we need a Savior to break the hold that wealth and other things have on our hearts. This table is his table, and he's lovingly inviting us to experience his mercy and grace as we recall his death on our behalf to free us from sin's hold on us. Let's pray. God, you are so good. You are a loving Father. We know that you see us. You know everything about us. You know everything that's weighing on us this morning. So God, will you speak to each of us in whatever way we need in this moment of silence now, God? Speak your word to each of us. Help us hear from you so that we can live that full, free, and abundant life you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.